Welcome to Sidactic, Residency Edition, your podcast resource to survive and thrive in your psych residency. I am Dr. O'Leary, and as of this recording, I am a second-year resident in the National Capital Consortium Psychiatry Residency Program. However, make no mistake, I do not speak for this program, nor do I speak for the Department of Defense or the federal government or anyone else for that matter. What I say is my opinion and I reserve the right to be wrong. So trust me at your own risk. It's a risk some are willing to take. In addition, I often use colorful language and strange, sometimes twisted metaphors. It's a style choice. I want to make my podcasts more fun for myself and the listener. Plus, it's who I am, so you get an honest glimpse into my mind. Some of this language may seem insensitive, but it is not my intent to offend, dismiss, or belittle anyone. I wanted to do this episode on transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS for short, because when I did my episodes on electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, I feel like I sounded a tiddly bit dismissive of TMS, and I wanted to clarify what I meant when I said TMS as of yet, is not nearly as efficacious as ECT. If you haven't listened to the ECT episodes, you should still be able to follow this discussion, so don't feel left out. There are three important ways that TMS is not as effective as ECT, and there is some promising evidence that TMS is gaining rapidly in at least two of these ways. First, TMS is not used for as many indications as ECT, Secondly, as I produce this podcast, TMS is not as effective as ECT for their overlapping indications. Finally, TMS is not as rapidly effective. In 2020, researchers at Stanford published results of a protocol for TMS that is promising to close the gap on effectiveness and vastly reduce the time to remission in patients with treatment-resistant depression. They call it the Stanford Accelerated Intelligent Neuromodulation Therapy, or SAINT for short. But that is getting ahead of ourselves. To start, I think you deserve a quick primer, or primer, however you pronounce it, on what TMS is, and how it was developed, and what these recent advances actually are. So, I'll dedicate this episode to that. In future episodes... I'll prognosticate in more detail about the current trajectory of TMS. Unlike ECT, TMS was not developed initially as a treatment modality. It was used for diagnostic and research purposes in the 1970s and 80s and only later co-opted for treatment. Because much of your cortex is close to your skull, neuroscience researchers can easily stimulate it more easily than the deeper structures like the internal capsule. For motor functions, researchers can stimulate the motor cortex and measure the speed of conductance. Initially, stuff like this was done by directly electrifying the scalp between two electrodes. A large enough current was needed to penetrate the skull, like in ECT, and electrify the underlying cortex. But the point of TMS is not to cause a seizure. You can imagine how uncomfortable patients must have been 
as this unruly electricity wreaked havoc on their scalp, trying to get to their cortex. By using a magnetic field to induce the cortex to fire or to not fire, instead of electrifying the scalp, patients could be more comfortable, and presumably the side of stimulation could be much better controlled. I'm going to ask you to reach back to your electrical physics knowledge and remember that passing a current through a conductor can create a magnetic field, and passing a conductor through a magnetic field can induce a current. Mechanical generators like wind turbines work this way by rotating a magnetic field near a conductor. Current is electrons. Current is electrons moving through a conductor, and current always creates a magnetic field. Magnetic fields, however, don't always induce currents. If the magnetic field's just hanging out, constantly reaching out its invisible tendrils into a conductor without actually changing, electrons don't get very excited. Instead of flowing in a current, they'll just line up like kindergartners waiting for lunch, still wiggly but not getting anywhere. You either have to make the magnetic field dance or make the conductor dance parallel to the magnetic field to get the juices flowing. To extrapolate to pulsating brain tissues, if you pass a strong enough magnetic field through a certain region of the brain and then make that field dance, you can create exogenous electrical activity. You can basically make neurons fire, or you can shut them down. We need to modulate the magnetic field and not move the head through the magnetic field because, well, just imagine how many patients would want to be placed near a magnetic field and have their head vibrated for 30 minutes. Also, moving the head would change the location of the magnetic field relative to the brain, changing the part of the brain stimulated. Instead, TMS induces current in the head not by passing the head through the magnetic field, but by changing the magnetic field in a constant region of the brain. By doing this, little magnetic mamba through brain tissues, we can either stimulate or inhibit various regions of the brain. Magnetic fields exponentially lose strength the farther they are from their source, so it takes a lot of energy to induce a magnetic field that can effectively reach to the cortex from outside the head. Now I'm going to start using a bunch of technical terms, uh, but I think it's necessary. You need a capacitor that can charge thousands of joules and then discharge something like 500 joules of energy quickly through a coil on and off over microseconds. I've read that you also need the help of something called a thyristor, whatever that is, to handle the current. It's much more intensive to make a field that can reach all the way into the subcortical regions, and it's beyond the scope of this discussion to get that deep into the details. But I hope that you will have enough information now to see that all those magnetic hats and doohickeys and do-it-yourself TMS machines you see advertised on Facebook are likely not doing much more than wasting money or energy. You need something very focused, something very precise. When I say TMS in reference to the treatment of a patient, what I'm really referring to is RTMS or repetitive TMS. Instead of just a one-and-done pulsing, patients who use TMS for depression, for example, may have repeated stimulations over the course of about half an hour or so, 
This repetition is what results in benefits, and these benefits are presumably the result of changes in a person's brain. It's important to note that developers and users of TMS grew up consuming a different ethical and legal soup than the developers of ECT. TMS was much more thoroughly researched for safety before it was used on patients. Unlike ECT, TMS developers didn't find a stray human at a train station and hook him up to see what happened. There were protocols and oversight, informed consent, and precedence. Plus, as opposed to the 1920s and 30s, in the 1970s and 80s, there already existed some effective treatments for severely mentally ill patients, so the urgency to develop something, anything, that worked was not as great. Instead, TMS was developed with substantially more foresight. The first TMS machine approved by the US FDA during 2008 to 2009 was from a company called Neuronetics. Their machine was called the Neurostar. The approval FDA gave the Neurostar was very limited due to the limited data available in the sponsored research. Only a highly specific protocol was approved, and only for patients who had tried one, but not more than one, adequate antidepressant trial and had failed to improve. Hopefully in future episodes I'll have time to discuss their research, but suffice it to say for now that statistically significant improvements in that research were found only in secondary outcomes for depression and not in their primary outcome. But even so limited, this approval was encouraging to the field because due process of research had produced a device and more generally a method of treatment that was pretty unique and safe. Uh, And this was done through a more ethical process than ECT had initially subjected its patients to. Now the door was open for more exploration that had the promise of actually making it into clinical use. Additional devices have been approved with techno-babblish sounding names like the Brain's Way Deep, the MagVita, the MagVenture, the Neurosoft, the Serena, the Rapid Therapy Systems. Specific devices and protocols have been approved by the FDA for the treatment of major depressive disorder, acute migraines, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Location matters, and coils are designed and protocols are designed and are adjusted based on the location that needs to be either stimulated or inhibited. For OCD, the FDA has approved a protocol applied bilaterally over the left and the right dorsomedial prefrontal cortex. Treatment for depression is focused over the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. The Serena, on the other hand, is a take-home device that may help reduce pain and migraines by diffusely inhibiting the occipital cortex. So, I briefly mentioned earlier TMS can either inhibit or stimulate brain activity. For example, the Serena is supposed to inhibit activity and therefore reduce the intensity of migraine. TMS for depression is intended to increase activity in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. It's far beyond the scope of this podcast to get into the nitty-gritty, but there are innumerable ways to design a device that could purportedly stimulate or inhibit various brain regions. It's important that each new device and each new claim is tested for safety and efficacy. Because TMS is relatively safe and considered non-invasive, it is being investigated in just about everything you could imagine, so I won't go into that here. Despite its safety, though, 
TMS is not without potentially harmful side effects and does have some contraindications. So one of the most worrisome side effects is the potential for seizure induction. For ECT, seizure is what is expected. And the concern really for ECT is inducing status epilepticus. But in TMS, a convulsive seizure, even a short one, is not desired, unless you're conducting something called MST or magnetic seizure therapy, which I won't cover in too much detail here. RTMS is conducted in an office setting or even in the comfort of a patient's home. So there are no anesthesiologists with syringes and artificial airways standing at the head of the bed. The rate of seizures in TMS is hard to estimate, but one 2020 study reported 41 total seizures among who knows how many treatments, maybe millions, making the risk of seizure extremely low. And it also appears that seizures are more likely in those who already have risk factors for seizures or a history of seizures. So for a patient without a history or significant risk factors for seizures, the risk of TMS inducing a seizure is very, very low. Absolute contraindications for TMS are any number of implanted medical devices in the head, neck, or upper thorax. Some of this is more out of an abundance of caution and a deficit of data, but bad things can happen. The magnetic field generated by TMS can cause objects which can have a current induced in them uh, to heat up. Have you ever used an induction stovetop? They're pretty amazing. You can cook with them by inducing current, and you can also cook a patient with your TMS. So knowing the location and the composition of patients' devices is crucial. TMS may also interfere with electrical or magnetic devices that are programmable, so they could deprogram or inactivate a device potentially. I have been focused on RTMS, which uses 10 hertz pulses about 3,000 times over the course of about half an hour, and that's only once a day. I've also mentioned MST, or the magnetic stimulation of a seizure. That gives bursts that intentionally induce seizures. But now I want to mention another player in the magnetosphere, which is ITBS, or intermittent theta burst stimulation. It's like RTMS, except patients get more energy and they get it faster. For example, protocol for ITBS might use 660 hertz pulses per day over just three to four minutes, while RTMS uses 3,010 hertz pulses per day stretched over about a half an hour. With ITBS, the theta bursts, you get higher energy dosing over less time, so you can say the energy density is higher. And in 2018, the FDA recognized that ITBS is at least as effective as comparable RTMS protocols, and it also takes less time. So they approved ITBS for treatment-resistant depression. Remember the SAINT protocol I talked about earlier? It accelerates the delivery of ITBS even more. It gives 18,050 hertz pulses per day. In addition, they use an MRI to map the targeted brain. They want to find the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex more accurately. In the next episode, 
I want to discuss the methods of this SAINT trial and their results. If the findings of this trial stand up to the ruthless demands of scientific rigor, then ITBS may edge out ECT from the depression market. But it's still too early to tell. In this episode, I discussed a brief history of TMS development, described in my pitiful way how TMS works, some of its indications and contraindications, and hopefully inspired you to want to find out what the next episode has in store. Thank you for your time, and this has been an episode of Sidactic, Residency Edition. Thank you.